as you're seated, go to Acts 21 and verse number 15, and we'll read there. Thanks again, choir. My goodness, you've been on your game today. Yeah, thank you. Give them one more hand, wouldn't you? Let them know. Yeah, they've been working hard, getting ready uh, for the summer, and uh, grateful to God uh, for them. In Acts 21, we'll begin reading this morning in verse 15 in just a moment. We're making our way through the book of Acts. We come to share a message I've entitled this morning, Bold Christians in a Broken World. After I preach, I'm going to give an invitation. I'm going to ask you to get up out of your seat and be bold. Walk right here if you've never trusted Christ. If you're here without Jesus, you come be saved today. If you're here and know to join this church, some came and talked to me out in the foyer. After first service, you come, take my hand, give God your heart, and say, Pastor, we're ready to be a part of Olive Baptist Church. Take that bold step right here, and then we'll take some bold steps as we go out of this place as well today. We're in Acts 21, beginning in verse 15, and reading down through verse number 30. You listen now, because this is indeed the word of our great God. After these days, we got ready and started on our way up to Jerusalem. This is Paul and his entourage. Some of the disciples from Caesarea also came with us, taking us to Nason of Cyprus, a disciple of long standing with whom we were to lodge. After we arrived in Jerusalem, the brethren received us gladly. The following day, Paul went in with us to James, and all the elders were present. And after he had greeted them, he began to relate one by one the things which God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. When they heard it, they began glorifying God, and they said to him, You see, brother, how many thousands there are among the Jews of those who have believed, and they are all zealous for the law. And they've been told about you, that you are teaching all the Jews who are among the Gentiles to forsake Moses telling them not to circumcise their children or to walk according to the customs. What then is to be done? They will certainly hear that you have come, that he's arrived in Jerusalem. Therefore, do this, James is telling him, that we to do this that we tell you. We have four men who are here under a vow. Take them and purify yourselves along with them and pay their expenses so that they may shave their heads. And all will know that there is nothing to the things which they have been told about you, but that you yourself also walk orderly, keeping the law. But concerning the Gentiles who have believed, we wrote, having decided that they should abstain from meat sacrificed to idols and from blood and from what is strangled and from fornication. Then Paul took them in, and the next day, purifying himself along with them, went into the temple, giving notice of the completion of the days of purification until the sacrifice was offered for each one of them. When the seven days were almost over, the Jews from Asia, upon seeing him in the temple, began to stir up all the crowd and laid hands on him, crying out, Men of Israel, come to our aid. This is the man who preaches to all men everywhere against our people and the law and this place. Besides, he's even brought Greeks into the temple and has defiled this holy place. For they had previously seen Trophimus, the Ephesian, in the city with him. And they supposed that Paul had brought him into the temple. Then all the city was provoked. The people rushed together and taking hold of Paul, they dragged him out of the temple. And immediately the doors were shut. And then you see the next verse, they were trying to kill him. Then he's arrested. 
he's taken. A mob comes trying to take his life. And then verse 39 says, but Paul said, I am a Jew of Tarsus of Cilicia, a, city, a, a citizen of no insignificant city. I beg you, allow me to speak to the people. Paul is standing boldly in a broken city, in a broken culture. Today, we must stand boldly as believers in Christ followers. And when we stand boldly, we must learn to stand in a broken world. We are in what philosophers call today post-modernity. There was the modern age. Everything was science-filled. Two plus two equals four. Every time. Never a variation. But when we move from that to a postmodern setting, or I like to say better, a post-truth culture, two plus two can equal whatever you want it to equal. Truth and morality in this kind of culture are feeling-based and crowd-sourced. You decide for yourself what is right and what is wrong in this post-truth culture. There is no standard. Right and wrong is increasingly mob-driven. And truth-based thinkers like Bible-believing Christians are seen as threats to the culture. I take that from The Hope of Nations by John Dickerson. I've paraphrased a little of what he has said. We live in a day that if you stand boldly as a believer, your culture is coming against you in an unprecedented kind of way. But there's nothing new. Paul stood boldly, and his culture and his church came against him. What we needed in the first century, we need in our century. And what we need are Christian church champions standing with courage for Christ. We must stand. We must, or we will turn our back on the one who went to Calvary for us, and we dare not do that. Standing boldly in a broken world. But I want to tell you, when you stand, there are others around you hoping you will stand, and they will stand with you. You're not going to be alone. Oh, there'll come a day, sometimes you have to be a Daniel and stand, and it looks like, where is anybody? I can't find a soul. But most often, there are others just waiting on someone to say, this is the way. Go there, and I will walk with you. Who are these people? that are around us. Paul found them when he came to Jerusalem, and I want to show them to you in this text. 
today. First of all, God provides what I call devoted disciples. Devoted disciples. Look at it right here in, in verse 16. Some of the disciples, there's the word, disciple meaning a follower of Christ, a learner. They were coming from Caesarea. They came with us. Paul is coming from Caesarea to Jerusalem. And some of the disciples, some of the Jesus followers, the Jesus people were coming with Paul and with Luke who is writing this text. And the Bible says they came with us, taking us to Mason of Cyprus, a disciple of long standing, <laughs> with whom we were to lodge. First of all, God provides devoted disciples like Mason. Here, here's a guy, the Bible says he is a disciple of long standing. He didn't just start yesterday. He's been at this for a long time. He's probably followed Christ as a young man or maybe even as a child as we saw baptized in this service and in the first service today. Maybe he started young growing up in a Christian home or maybe he was a young adult but now he's lived these years, 20, 25, 30 years. He's followed after the Lord Jesus Christ and here he is staying the course, being persistent, being long-suffering. He is not a quitter. He stays by the stuff and what we need in our culture are people who begin and walk and finish the course that Christ puts in front of them. May God give us devoted disciples. And here is Mason. He is opening his life unto Paul, Luke, and the rest of the entourage. Dear friend, what you must do is that you must stand for Christ no matter where you are. When you go to work, you stand for Jesus. If you work in the school system, you stand for Jesus. If you work at Navy Federal, you stand for Jesus. If you work in a courthouse, you stand for Jesus. You run your own business, you stand for Jesus. If you work at Olive, stand for Jesus. <laughs> no matter where you work, it's time to stand for Jesus. But don't just stand at work. Stand at church. Make sure when you walk in this place that you're standing for Christ and that you are a disciple, a long-standing disciple. But then you got to stand for him at home, and that's what Mason is doing. He is opening his home and saying, Paul, Luke, others, come on in. You can stay here at my house. Make sure that Jesus is Lord at your house. Have you got the Ten Commandments hanging in your house? If you don't, get you a copy and put it there. Been there for 40 more years in my home. As you walk in the front door, there, the Ten Commandments listed. Good to put the Great Commission on one side or a Great Command, whatever you want to do. But we put the Ten Commandments there. We say, Pastor, what's that do? When somebody walks in, they see Scripture on your wall. It at least gives them an idea they've walked in a house that names the name of the Lord. Make sure your house names the name of Jesus, that prayer is offered there, that Bible reading is offered there, that a good ethic is always lived there, and that your neighbors know you are different than the world. Thank God for these that are devoted disciples along the way. It's what we need. And for those of you that have been walking the Christ life for 15, 20, 30, 40, 50 more, thank you for standing and not falling away. Thank you that you're there, that you're standing for Christ you're not going to quit. You're going to be long-suffering. 
You're going to stay till the end until the Lord calls you home. Hallelujah. That's who Nason was. What our culture needs standing? Devoted disciples. But not only does he need devoted disciples and provide them, he provides also what I call spirit-filled shepherds. Notice in the next two or three verses, we arrived at Jerusalem. They received us, and the next day, verse 18 says that Paul went in with us to James. James is the half-brother of Jesus. He is the pastor of the church at Jerusalem, and James is there with the elders. The word elder there is presbyteros. We get our word presbyterian from that uh, very word. The elders were there, the leaders alongside of James, the pastor of that church was there. Now you remember, James did not always believe. Matter of fact, Mark's gospel says in chapter 6 and verse 3 that when James saw the miracles of his half-brother Jesus, he questioned them. I know this guy's raised me. I don't think he can do that. But the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 15, 7, when Jesus rose from the dead, he appeared over here and he appeared there and to 500. And the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 15, 7, he appeared to James. That half-brother got a wake-up call that day. So I'm not sure he, whoa. He's his half-brother, had the same mother, but a different father. (laughs) And James became a believer and a follower of Christ and then became the pastor. I love to read the book of James. That uh, many authors believe he is the most powerful and influential Christian in the first century. Beyond Paul and Peter, they believed James because of his work at the Jerusalem church. That he had great influence that reached for centuries. Of course, he gives us those five chapters in that small book back over in the back of the New Testament. The epistle of James. I love James. I love to read him. (laughs) James says you can tame every animal in the kingdom, but you can't tame your tongue. But my favorite verse is chapter 1, verse 22. Don't just be hearers of the word, but be what? Doers of the word. Don't just listen. Do it. Do it. God still calls preachers today. I was interviewed by Christianity Today just a few weeks ago. I think I just saw where the article came out. Young man uh, who's uh, even in Texas, he called me, said, I hear you have young preachers in your church. I'm doing an article uh, on uh, pastors and the lack of them. He, he said, the day's coming when you will be out the door and all of your baby boomer buddies will be gone and dead and retired and old folks home. And he said, there's not enough preachers coming behind you to fill all the pulpits. He said, I hear you have a group of young men. I said, I do. Matter of fact, I'm meeting with some of them tonight. He said, what do you think about that? What do we need to do about that? I said, I don't do nothing. I said, that's not my job. I'm not worried about that. I said, I train pastors, but God calls pastors. It's God that calls. He can raise up an army in a moment. He did it in the 70s. We thought we were running short then. 
here comes this Jesus movement. There's an avalanche of preachers. Don't you worry about God providing pastors. He'll call his men. Those that have ears to hear will hear. Some of you have been wondering about it, and my word to you is even affirmation this morning. God's calling you. You ought to walk right down here and say, Pastor, I, today I believe and I know God's called me as a shepherd. Heed the call. Heed the call to be God's preacher if that is the touch of God. To be God's missionary. Be God's educator wherever it might be. You know, God ought to call every Christian to whatever job they got. And we talk about our seniors that come across this place. They say, what's your vocation? You know, that word vocation begins with the word vocal. That's the call of God. God calls lawyers just like he does preachers. He calls teachers just like he does preachers. He ought to call firefighters. You'd be right because you're on mission for Christ wherever you are in your given place where God has called you. We just seem to talk a little bit more about the church and the call of the pastor. Well, thank God that he gives us spirit-filled shepherds to lead the way like he did with James. But there's a third thing. A third individual that God uses and he provides. Not only does he provide devoted disciples. That ought to be all of us. Not only does he provide spirit-filled shepherds. Boy, if you've got a preacher down through the years that's blessed you, you ought to just call and thank them. Write them a note. Let them know. A good word to them would encourage their soul, I guarantee you it would. But God also provides courageous citizens. Courageous citizens. Here is Paul. He's been arrested. And and they're carting him off and about to kill him. There's a mob everywhere. And we find in the text, you get down to verse 39, that Paul said, I'm a Jew of Tarsus, a citizen of no insignificant City. We'll find in chapter 22, just a little later in chapter 22, verse 25, and chapter 22 and verse 28, he says twice, I am a citizen of Rome. I am a Roman citizen. And the guy that was arresting him said, well, I had to buy my citizenship. How'd you get yours? He said, I was born a citizen of Rome. His mother and father had come somehow into Roman citizenship, and Paul was born with Roman citizenship. We need citizens. In our culture, who are courageous both in the church and in the culture. Citizens of our time, our nation, courageous in the church and in the culture. Paul was courageous in the church. You notice that James came to him. Matter of fact, G. Campbell Morgan says in his commentary about this that Paul and James made a mistake. He said they sinned. I don't believe they did, but that's what Campbell Morgan says. And I read a lot of his stuff. I love what he says. He says they should not have taken these men for a Nazarite vow and had Paul take them up to the temple and there shave their head after they'd burned the hair of having the Nazarite vow. But James said, to prove yourself that you are with us, you take these four men that have taken the vow of the Nazarite, shave their head, you shave yours, and you pay for it all. They had to uh, give an offering like a lamb or a bullock, and they didn't have any money and said, Paul, you pay it. The Bible says he went up there and did it. Friend, we need courageous citizens in the church 
I'm talking about godly men and women that stand in the church. You know, there's some hard decisions that have to be made at church. It's not all easy. We need men and women of God who stand in the church. And Paul did that with these men. Why did he do it? Well, I think he gives us an, uh, a look into it in 1 Corinthians 9. Notice what he said beginning in verse 19. For though I am free from all men. Paul said, I, I, I'm free. I've made myself a slave to all so that I may win more. To the Jews, here it is. Why did he cut his hair? Why did he go up there and pay the vow? To the Jews I became as a Jew that I might win Jews. To those who are under the law as under the law, though myself not under the law. And so that I might win those who are under the law. Verse 21, to those who are without the law as without the law, though not being without the law of God, but under the law of Christ, so that I might win those who are without the law. To the weak I became as weak that I might win the weak. I became all things to all men so that I may by all means win some. I do all things for the sake of the gospel. The gospel. That's what we do. We, we need these courageous citizens that stand for Christ and the gospel. You need to be one of them. You say, I'm a citizen of America. Amen. That will not get you into glory. It'll get you into the tax office, but it won't get you into glory. It'll allow you to vote, but it doesn't mean you're elect. But we need citizens that will stand in the church. And then we need courageous Christians that will stand in the culture. In the culture. There was a mob in verse 34 coming against Paul. But among the crowd, some were shouting one thing, some were shouting another thing. And when he could not find out the facts because of the uproar, he ordered him to be brought into the barracks. And so the, uh, the captain said, get him in the army picked him up and they carried him into the barracks said they bound him in chains dear friend if you stand in the culture you get ready people are going to stand against you but we need to stand in our culture when people speak things that are false you've got to speak against it it's a time to stand why do you do it? That you might win some. I was in Montana last week. Uh, so I got Sunday morning, I got up in Bozeman. I drove three hours to Cali, Wyoming to go to church. On the way over there, I listened to Sean preach from this pulpit. He's a South African, and I listened to him. I got over to Cali, and I listened to Johannes, and he's a South African. A black South African and a white South African. They have different accents. I was so confused after church that day. I, I, I was like a gnat in a yo-yo. I mean, I was just going around and around. But I listened to those two preachers. And then I had great fellowship uh, in, in that place. I pulled up, and as I got out of my truck, I looked up and there was a van said Olive Baptist Church. I'd forgotten we gave them one of our old vans. They've been using it, bringing people to church up there in Wyoming. I'm thinking, why don't y'all paint this thing? It says Olive Baptist Church, Pensacola, Florida. While there, I was walking one morning. And as I was walking through this beautiful park, I saw a girl with the ugliest dog God ever made. 
absolutely horrendous. And she was throwing a frisbee. That ugly dog would go get it. Bring it back. One moment she threw it kind of crooked and it landed right at my feet. And here came that ugly mutt and grabbed it and ran and started jumping up on me, wanting me to throw it. And I finally got it, went and threw it, and it went and brought it back. I said, Lord, I throw it over here. I'd... <laughs> well, as I began, the lady came over, and I thought, well, this is a good gospel opportunity. And I began to converse. She's probably 35, maybe 40, I don't know. And I tried to share with her about my Lord. And when I got to the place, I just asked her about her church. And she said, well, I don't do that anymore. I went and I was a kid, but I quit all that. I said, okay. I said, well, God sent me by here to tell you today that he loves you. And so that was my first entree toward the gospel. And I was going to get, and she said, that's wonderful. I love me too. And I'm telling you, it knocked me off my, of all the soul winning courses I've ever taken, I've never had, I, I, I didn't know what the transitional sentence was out of that. I, I didn't know how to get back to the gospel. I mean, I was just like, whoa. I, try, I just never got there. I just couldn't get to the gospel. I tried. You say, some of you say, I'd be scared to death. I'm scared every time. But my job as a kingdom citizen is to stand for Christ in my culture. And you only have to witness when he tells you to. You're not supposed to witness there, but you just witness to who God tells you to witness to. And if you'll tell him you're available, he'll wear you out all next week. So two days went by and I went over and I got lunch one day. I was in an Applebee's and I... Uh, went by. They were having special needs Olympics in Bozeman. There were special needs children everywhere. I didn't know how to do all of that. I know this, at the hotel where I stayed, they were like locusts when it came to breakfast. I didn't get to anything for breakfast. Those kids would come in there. I get one little half a donut. Well, I was out for lunch one day and I started out and there's an older couple sitting with a special needs boy and as I walked by he turned around and he said hey how are you I mean that loud in in the red screaming at me and I just turned I said I said buddy I'm doing great how are you and he just went back to eat he just left me alone just ignored me I just <laughs> forget him he'd already done what he needed to do and I spoke it was the grandparents that were with him and I just spoke a hello, and I, I walked out, and I got halfway to my car, and I'm here to tell you the Holy Ghost of God stopped me and said, you go back in there and buy their lunch. I said, but, uh, don't tell the Holy Ghost, but, uh, all right, I'm telling you, he's fixing to kick your but, uh, to get you back to where you need to be. And, and I went, and if I offended you, I apologize in Jesus' name. I'll I went back in, and that elderly man was there, and I took a $100 bill on a gospel track. And I went by and just said, is this your grandson? He said, yes. And um, I said, well, I want you to know the Lord loves you, and he sent me in here to buy your lunch. He said, you can't do that. I said, I know I can't, but I'm going to. He said, no, -uh, that's baloney. I said, no. I said, listen, sir, 
I have an elderly gentleman gives me this money. It's not my money. The elderly gentleman's the ancient of days. That's King Jesus. And I said, I'm not this good. I wouldn't buy your dinner, your lunch with my money. This is money somebody else gave me. All right? Don't think I have anything good in me. I'm not that good. But I laid down. His bill was $64 and 20 some odd cents. I said, here's a $100 bill. Tip your waiter real good. Just wants you to know God loves you. I don't know what the Lord will do with that. Listen to me. If you're a Christian, you're on mission everywhere you go. You don't get a day off. You, you, you speak when God tells you to speak, and you shut up when he tells you to shut up. Sometimes it's by silence, sometimes by good works. Dear friend, we stand in a culture that needs the gospel and needs courageous citizens in the culture living the Christ life. It was in the beginning of World War II, before we got in it, Franklin Roosevelt gave a, a speech where he said, but all the present efforts that we're doing for this war is not enough. We must have more ships, more guns, more planes, more of everything. This can only be accomplished if we discard the notion of, in quotes, business as usual in America. Well, let me tell you, business as usual in the church is not going to get done what must be done in this culture. We, we cannot. We must become the church militant on March for the king. It'll take all of us. Roosevelt went on to say in that speech that I quote here, we must be the great arsenal of democracy. That's what he called America. Well, what we must be is the great arsenal of the glory of God. We're not in this to save America. America's not forever. Only heaven's forever and God's forever. But as long as we are here and we're citizens in this nation, we are to live as citizens of another land. And business as usual will not get it done. We must be the arsenal for the glory of God. Living for the King. John Dickerson gives nine manifestos that I want to give you, then I want to give an invitation. And I'm going to invite you to come to Jesus. I'm going to invite you to come to join the church. I'm going to invite you to come in repentance today. Dickerson says in this post-truth culture, the church must manifest these nine things. And I like this. Not mine. It's his. I've stolen it from him. Dickerson says, we will, number one, remain rooted to Scripture. We will remain rooted to Scripture. This is the book. This is the truth. Two plus two is four if it says so. What it calls right is right. What it calls wrong is wrong. What it says is righteous is righteous. What it calls sin is sin. This is the book. And we must, we will, he said, Remain rooted in Scripture. Number two, we will train our young. We will train our young. We must raise up a coming generation. My children and my children's children and my children's children's children. We must and we will train our young in the ways of God. Number three, we will be known for doing good. Amen. 
We're going to manifest Christ. We will be known for doing good. Why do we have the ministry village at Olive? Because we want to be known for doing good, and it's right. I was standing out here at the hallway this morning greeting people that came in. It was a sweet lady, lovely, came up, and she said, you don't, I said, I remember your face. I can't call your name. She told me her name. She said, I was in the Karis house several years ago. I said, what are you doing now? She said, I just finished nursing school. That, that is why we do that. I told that to a hospital administrator this morning. He said, you send her to me, I'll hire her tomorrow. You can't find enough nurses. Do good. Do do good. We will be known for doing good. Let the world know that Olive wants to do good. Number four, we will dignify all people as image bearers of God. A drunkard, a thief, they're people. We will hold them to accountability, but they are image bearers of God, and we will treat them as people, as people. We will, number five, be ambassadors. There's a king that sent us on a mission, and we will be ambassadors for God. Number six, we will love our persecutors. You got to love the prosecutor too, but the persecutor, those that persecute you, that come against you, that hate you, we will love them. Mm. Number seven, we will remain calm. Now there's some of you need a boatload of number seven. We will remain calm. He's got it. He's got you. You can trust him. We will remain calm. Number eight, we will be invincible. You can't stop us. We will not stop. We will be invincible. All the way to the end. And number nine, we will be fearless, fearless. We will fear not. So you say, but pastor, what's going to happen to my children? My children's children. I don't know. But I know when I look back at pictures of my granddaddy sitting in that little wood frame house in the depression, if God can get them through that depression, he'll get you through whatever's coming to you. Is there an amen in the house? I mean, anybody believe in that? We will be fearless. We're not going to back up. We're going to walk with God. Because he needs a bold people in this broken world. And God knows it's broken and getting more broken all the time. I think if we could break all of these, the world would be a better place to live. Yeah. I read this week, you college kids can tell me if it's true or not, and high school kids as well. I hear that students put this on their pillow at night. And so when it buzzes, they hear it. 
Let me tell you, friend, if you can't sleep, you're not going to be worth killing the next day. Let me tell you, I locked mine in my office, and it's in another room outside my house. If you need me during the night, you come knock on my door. Sweet Beth Harris took care of us here. They needed me one night during the night, and I had my phone locked outside. And they came to my house and tried to get in. The police came. And Beth told them, said, don't go in. Don't go in there. His phone is in the other room, but his gun is next to the bed. <laughs> don't go in there. Now, she knew that because I told her. And finally, they aroused us. They turned on the sirens, and I got up and came to the door. Hmm. It's killing us. The messages, the filth, the stupidity. You just quit believing all that. Because two plus two is still four. Even a professor tells you two plus two is six. He's stupid. <laughs> he lost his mind. It's four. Friend, you've got to find truth in this book. Stand. Be calm. Be an ambassador. Be invincible. Be fearless. Some of you are scared to death of ever walking down an aisle right here. I want to encourage you. Take the first step today. Come on. Come right now. Just come on. Even for John C., just come. Just come. I'm, I'm going to say yes to Jesus. I'm going to say yes to the church. Saying yes to Lordship. Then, then you come today. Be fearless. Be bold, God. If you won't stand here, you'll never stand out there. Trust me. This is the easiest crowd you'll ever stand in front of. And anybody here's against you, we'll take them out behind the building and whip them. I'm telling you right now, we're, we're for you in here. You'll meet some people that will stand with you here. Would you come? Would you come today? Would you come out of that balcony down these stairs? Would you come on this ground? Would you come down these aisles? Would you come today and say yes to Jesus? Yes to King Jesus. Ready to be his citizen, his ambassador. Ready to follow after him. Ready to be a part of the church of the living God. You, you, God's calling. You, you come today. You come. You come.